Welcome Fellowship Asheville, no matter who you are or where you are, uh, we are glad to be the church with you today. Um, for those of you who are watching and for those of you who have been continuing to watch, uh, thank you for taking this journey with us. I really appreciate uh, your faithfulness and engaging with us, um, not just on Sundays, but, but also your engagement uh, in our virtual groups that we've been doing, your engagement uh, in, in serving opportunities, your engagement in giving. And listen, I know, trust me, I know this virtual thing is getting tired, right? And I long for the day that we can safely be together with as few barriers as possible. Um, and I want you to know that we are consistently working on making that happen and getting us back together. As a matter of fact, in the next week, after the governor makes his next announcement, uh, in the next week, you're going to get an email that, that, and you're going to see what our anticipated plans are for reopening. Now, I say anticipated because if this season of COVID has driven home a truth like no other, it is the, the, the proverb that, that a man may direct his, his paths, but it is God that directs his steps, right? And so we have all these great plans, uh, but those plans can change literally, literally in a matter of hours, but we have been working to put some plans and procedures in place so that we can reopen safely. And so no matter what our immediate future holds, I want you to hear me say thank you for being on this journey with us. Now, speaking of journey, can you believe it? We are, uh, we are at the end of Revelation. We've made it through uh, this letter called Revelation. When I started teaching this book, I would have never imagined a worldwide pandemic would have happened uh, to help the, these verses come to life in a, in a certain way. And yet, here we are, right? And I hope God has used this letter at the end of our Bible to, to do something for you. I hope that God has used this letter to help you experience breakthrough. And as of now, we're going to leave these mirrors behind us. Because if you remember, these mirrors, every piece of that mirror has a name on the back side of it where we have prayed for you to experience breakthrough. And some of you have asked us to add your name and add a piece of mirror for you. And we have done that gladly. And if you would like us to add your name up there, if you're new to fellowship, we would gladly do that. Because we're going to leave those mirror pieces up there, even though we're done with Revelation as of today. And we're going to continue to pray for your breakthrough. Well, I want to start off this sermon uh, talking about a misconception that I had. You see, recently, Seth and I, he's my oldest son, he's 19 years old, we were walking and we were talking about uh, the, the series in Revelation. Now, just so you don't think me and my children walk around talking about the Bible all the time, we don't, right? This is one of those rare and awesome conversations uh, that Seth and I were having. But what this conversation did is it showed me just how much I don't know about this Bible and just how much I don't know about the God of this Bible. Because as Seth and I were talking, he asked this great question. He said, what, what is the last verse of the Bible? Right? And, and me, I have been studying Revelation for quite some time now, answered with, with uh, probably too much certainty because I said, I think it's the verses where God is warning people not to add or take away from the words of this letter that, that he says, you know, if you do that, then the curses and judgments of this letter will, will fall on you. And, and I said, I think, I think that's what it is because that sounded really right to me. And I said, well, let, let's check those. So I grabbed my phone, I opened my Bible app, and what I discovered is that I was close. Now here's the thing with close. My dad had this saying that close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, and you can add cornhole in there too. But, but if you're close 
on a Bible verse, here's what that means. It means that you're, you could possibly be really, really wrong. And that's what happened to me. Not only was I wrong about this verse, I was wrong about God's character and what I assumed in this book of Revelation. Are you curious now what the last verse is? If you haven't already opened it there, let's go ahead and do that. Because today we're going to be in Revelation, the last chapter, chapter 22, and we're going to cover verses 6 through 21. So, so go ahead and open your Bible or turn it on, uh, and let's look at the last verse in our Bible, the last verse in Revelation. Verse 21 says this. Let's, let's read it together. It says, And may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Now, I was wrong, wasn't I? I thought Revelation ended with judgment and wrath and perfection. If a man or human wrote this book, that's probably how it would have ended. But a human didn't write this book. God did. And he wrote it through a person named John. But this final verse of the Bible is something very different. It's not about perfection. It's not about judgment. It's not about wrath. It's about this. It is about grace. Now, you might be asking, what is grace? And why will we need it for this final thought in our Bible? Why, we, why do we need it for this final part of Revelation? Well, we're going to see. Because we're going to see the response today needs much of this grace. Now, go ahead and look back up. You know, you're in verse 21. Look back up to verse 6. And, and let's work our way through and see what our response is today that leads us to need this kind of grace. Verse 6 says this. It says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servant what must soon take place. And so John, like I said, the guy that God used to put pen to paper, is, is recapping kind of these previous 20 plus chapters where God and his Holy Spirit sent this angel to, to tell John some things. And if you remember these visions that he had, the first three chapters were about seven churches, seven real churches in John's real time. And, and this letter of Revelation was passed around to those seven churches where, where the Spirit of God, where Jesus had something very specific to say to each church. And then the rest of the book of the Revelation were these visions about what John was seeing to come in the future, right? But this last phrase shows that, that there's something left that's coming and it's immediate. It gives this sense of, of immediacy in this last phrase. So look at, at, at what John is showing us is, is immediate. In verse 7 it says this, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. And so if you have a Bible and some of the, the, the sentences and some of the words are in red ink and the rest are in black, that red ink means that these are the words that, that Jesus spoke. And, and if your Bible does that, you'll notice that this verse was in red because this is Jesus who is speaking this. And it is Jesus saying this simple phrase, I am coming soon. And this phrase we're going to see is repeated three different times in these last few verses. We're going to hear Jesus say, I am coming soon. He's going to say again, I am coming soon. And he's going to say again, I am coming soon. And three, when you see something repeated three times in Scripture, three is this number of God, right? It's this number of the Trinity. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when something is repeated three times in the Bible, it's like God is saying, hey, I need you to pay attention here. And the reason I clap, that's funny. The reason I clap is because in my house, if there's 
a lot going on and my wife and I are, are needing to say something that we want to remember that we actually said so we can do it. We'll, we'll clap and then we'll say it. So that's, that's what God's doing when he's repeating something three times. He's clapping and saying, pay attention to this. And here we see, we see that we're to pay attention to this fact that Jesus is coming soon. Right. And, 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 and just to recap you on Jesus's timeline, you know, he was he was he was born. He he w- was raised. He 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 did uh, he did ministry for three years. He was crucified. He was resurrected. And then he spent time with his disciples after his resurrection. And then he ascended into heaven. And here we see he is reminding all of us that his ascension into heaven wasn't the final chapter, that he is actually going to be returning. Look at verse 8. It says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Now, this may sound familiar. Does this sound familiar to any of y'all? We, we, we saw this in chapter 19, right, where, where John was shown this vision, and, and, and he started worshiping the angel, and the angel said, stop. And, and when, when I first read this, I felt really comforted, because I'm like, ah, John's like as thick-headed as I am, right? Like, like he's not going to learn the first time. It's going to take a couple of times for him to learn. And, and, and I thought that was good. But then, as I studied this and, and, and read books about people who know a whole lot more about Revelation than I do, I realized that this is actually a technique in ancient letter writing. When they would repeat something that was done earlier in the letter, it was a signal to the people that were hearing this letter being read that the letter was almost finished. Because remember, these letters that we have in our Bible, a lot of people couldn't read when they were written. And so, so they would be read aloud to people. And this letter in particular was passed around to those seven churches and then to others, and they were read out loud. And so if you were one of the persons hearing this, and you heard what you had already heard before, you would know that, okay, the letter is getting close to the end. Uh, I'll tell you what this is like. And it cracks me up. When we used to meet here in the worship center, uh, there was something that would happen. If I said something, the congregation, people in the congregation always responded kind of the same way. If I said certain phrases, it would automatically cue the people in the congregation to do something. For example, if I said something like, hey, before I pray, I have one more question. Or if I said something like, now that we're to the end of the message, I have one more thought for you. Here's what people would do. They would close their Bible, right? They'd put their pen up. Uh, they would turn off their phone because they know the end of the message is coming. And this is the same thing. But for us, the end isn't here, right? We still have this response that we're looking for. We've got more verses. In this response, we have to remember that revelation isn't so we can predict the future, right? Because the deal is, we don't know when Jesus is returning. Apparently, his idea of coming soon and our idea of coming soon are two very different ideas. We don't know when his return is going to be. But Revelation shows us how to respond when the future happens. And and, and what we're going to see in these next few verses is what is our response to the statement that Jesus is coming soon. Let's look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. In other words, in other words, uh, Jesus is the Spirit is telling John, "Listen, read this read this letter to everyone who will hear it." And I mean everyone. Look at this in verse eleven. 
In verse 11, it says this, Let the evildoer still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous still do what is right. And the holy still be holy. Now, this is a really interesting verse. And let, let the evildoer do evil. Like, like let, the, let, the, let them continue to do that. Don't we want the evildoer to stop doing evil? Like, isn't that, isn't that what, what any good society wants? Isn't that what Christianity wants in all of us? Yes, we do. But, but, but John here understands something, and the Spirit of God is doing something through John that is common uh, even today still. Because John and others are going to read this letter publicly. And they're going to read this letter publicly to all different kinds of people. And, and if they've listened from the very beginning all the way till now, they've seen what God will do with evil. They've seen how history ends. They see what happens if they still pursue a life of evil. evil. And Jesus is essentially saying, listen, if you don't know by now, Right? After hearing about all the judgments that will fall on the, on the one who follows the beast, on the, one, on the one who follows the evil one, after hearing about all the blessings that will come upon those who stay faithful to Jesus, if you don't know by now, then you will never know. And he's saying, if you've been, you've been clearly educated on the consequences, all right? You know what's going to happen with the choices you make. And just so we're clear, Jesus says this, just to be clear. In verse 12, he says, um, he says, Behold, I am coming soon. There it is again. Bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And so he is the summation of all history. He, 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 he's been there for eternity. So Jesus is making sure that we understand two things. One, that God is Jesus, right? That Jesus is God. He is, he is the summation of history. And two, that Jesus is coming. Right? And, and when he does, all of these judgments that we've seen in this book will take place. All of the, 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 the reward for staying faithful to Jesus will take place, all of them. And so verse 11 isn't an allowance for evil to keep doing evil. It is actually a call to repentance. It's one more time saying, listen, if this is the path that you're choosing, change. It's a call one more time to say yes to Jesus, because look, look at what happens when you do. In verse 14, it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. And so what happens when you say yes to Jesus is you get this eternal provision and this eternal presence with God. And that whole idea of entering the gates is this reference to what we saw last week. And so, so if you missed last week's message, go back and watch it because it explains this in much fuller detail. But there is still one more warning. Look at verse 15. It says, Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And so even with all of this, and even with this one last call to repentance, there will always be those who reject this message. And y'all, can I just say, if you're watching this right now and you haven't said yes to Jesus, don't be one of those people. Don't be one of those people that are outside of the city of God. Because let me tell you, life is hard enough without the presence of Jesus. The afterlife will be unbearable without his presence. 
And so trust him now and say yes to being a follower of Jesus. Maybe, maybe this is your response today is to say yes to him. Maybe this is your breakthrough in this series of Revelation is to say yes to Jesus. But for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, we still haven't gotten to our response, have we? Let's, let's, let's keep reading in verse 16. It says this, Jesus said, uh, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For the churches, uh, for the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And so Jesus is saying here that he is all that the scriptures say about him. He is the line of David. He is the fulfillment of all the prophecies about him. That's, that's the whole idea of the, the line of David and the bright morning star, that Jesus is all of that. But what is our response to him coming? Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says this, In the Spirit and the Bride, so that's the Spirit of God that embodies the church. So the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take, wa take the water of life without price. And so our response to this declaration of Jesus announcing his return is one simple word. It is come. Our response when we hear Jesus say, I am coming soon, is come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Now to those who have said yes to him, we long for, his to, for him to come. But for those who haven't, the invitation is there. Ask him to come into your life today. You see, with Jesus, what you desire will find its ultimate fulfillment in him. And here's the deal. There's no price that you have to pay. Why? Because Jesus has already paid that price. When he died on the cross, he died on the cross like a criminal, although he committed no crime. He took the punishment that we deserve on him. That's what our gospel is. And so if you haven't said yes to Jesus and let him pay the price of your sin, then, let, then, then, then do that today. And many of us listening to this have said yes to Jesus. And for those of us who have said yes, yes to Jesus, can I ask you a question? Is there anything in your life keeping you from saying, come Lord Jesus right now? Right? For a season of my life, there was. Right? When, I was when I was single, I was like, Jesus, I'm all for you coming. But listen, if you could wait just a bit. Right? If you could wait till I get married, and, and because there are kids in the room, if you could wait till I had the honeymoon, right? That's, that was part of it too. I, that would, I would be most appreciative. Right? But here's what I was doing in doing that. I was, I was, what I was doing is taking something good that God created, like marriage and sex, and I was making it better than what God was, was going to provide in his presence, which is something great. I was taking what God created as good and making it better than God. And so let me ask you, is there anything that you find yourself saying, Jesus, if you could just return after this, maybe after I get married and experience the honeymoon, maybe after I have kids, after I take that trip, after, after I get the job I've always wanted, after my kids graduate, after my kids get married, after I have grandkids. See, is there anything that you want Jesus to wait for? If so, if so, my friend, I've got an ancient word for you for this because you have what's known as an idol. 
right? You have what's known as an idol. Now, an idol is anything that we want more than Jesus. And here's the deal. Idols are very tricky because idols usually take something good and they make it ultimate, right? Like marriage and family and, 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 and using your gifts and abilities in, in, in greater degrees, those are all good. But if they become ultimate, if they become more than, than our relationship with Jesus, that is an idol. And so y'all, if, if I said there was something, uh, is there something that, that you're waiting for? That you're asking Jesus to hold off returning, that that's an idol. If something came into your mind, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify that as an idol, and I want you to confess it right now as such. And what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes and picture yourself laying that idol at the feet of Jesus and looking into Jesus' eyes and telling him that you trust him, that, that he is actually better. That is confession. And that is repentance, is laying it down and pursuing Jesus instead. That's our response. But what's interesting is there's still this question of grace. Remember, this book ends with grace. Why, why do we need grace? And how does grace fit into this? Well, let's keep going to find out. Verse 18 says this. And I warn everyone who hears these words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life in the holy city, which is described in this book. See, there, there's the stuff that I was talking about. That's where I thought the book in. All right, we, we got that. Check. We're good. Verse 20. And he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And so there's that third repetition of it and our response. We're just say amen. I agree is what amen means. And come, Lord Jesus. And look at this. It's verse 21. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So the question is, why do we need grace? Why is the last book of the Bible about grace? Why, when we, when we see that Jesus is returning, is the final word grace? Here's why. Because Jesus ain't here yet. That's why. He hasn't returned yet. And we need grace from Jesus for each other because Jesus hasn't returned yet. And so can I tell you what this means? This means this. It means until he returns, we all live with disappointment, right? Because in us is the spirit of God and, and in us is this desire for heaven and eternity. And yet we are here on earth, which means until when he returns, the things that we thirst for will be completely quenched. When he returns, the things that we desire will find their fulfillment in him. Until then, we just get a little taste of that fulfillment. We just get a little taste of that ultimate fulfillment. One day, we will have the full banquet in heaven. But right now, it's like going to Sam's when they used to do the samples, right? You just get a pretzel. You don't get the whole bag, right? You just get a little piece of pineapple. You don't get the buffet. One day, we will get the banquet table. Until then, we just get little samples. And sometimes, those little samples leave us disappointed, right? Because it's just not everything. Here's what that means as a church. What that means is that I will disappoint you until Jesus returns. What that also means is that you are going to disappoint me until Jesus returns. 
our disappointment will come in all kinds of forms. And y'all, seriously, this, this is true. Listen, let's just, let's just test it. Give me a like uh, on this if someone has disappointed you. Give, give me a like if a Jesus follower, a Christian person, a godly person has disappointed you. Give me a like if that's happened. Now, I hope this works. I hope that there are a lot of likes coming up right now because for every like that's coming up, it is evident that we need all that much more grace for each other. This is why we need grace. And grace is defined as this. Grace is defined as goodwill extended to another. Goodwill extended to another. And here we see the source of that goodwill, and it is Jesus. He is the source of our grace because his sacrifice for you and me allows us to extend grace and it allows us to extend goodwill to others. Jesus extended goodwill to you and he extended goodwill to me when he died on that cross to take a punishment that we deserved. He extended that goodwill by giving us a relationship with him both now and in complete fullness in eternity. You see, in the light of this amazing gift from Jesus, we can extend goodwill to others. We can extend goodwill to each other. And y'all get this, just like Jesus did for us, we can extend that goodwill even when they don't deserve it. So y'all, you know what kind of, you know what this kind of grace does to a church? It leaves us like this, right? You know I couldn't get out of Revelation without seeing Steve Harvey one more time, right? That's what this kind of grace does. You want me to tell you what this kind of grace does to the world? This kind of grace changes the world. When we extend goodwill to those, even those who don't deserve it, just like Jesus did for us, it changes the world. And so church, let's cry out, come Lord Jesus. And until he does, let's extend grace. Let's extend goodwill to each other. Let's extend goodwill to us and the church, and let's extend goodwill to those outside the church. Deal? Let's do it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are a good God because you extended grace to us when we didn't deserve it. And until you come, we will extend that grace to others. And Father, we need your empowerment to do that. We need your, your discernment to do that. Uh, we need you to do that. And so for anyone that hasn't accepted you, that hasn't said yes to Jesus in their life, I pray that they would do that right now and just simply say yes to following Jesus and no to following their own ways and no to doing their own thing, but to seeking your will for their lives. And God, for those of us who have said yes, may we lay down our idols and realize that you are better. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.